everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And here we are back in our spots, uh, as we do every week here in South Florida, our Pembroke Pine Studios here, uh, Big Dave and Joe, for another edition of Poker Action Line, and uh, got an interesting uh, article by one of my favorite writers, uh, Ashley Adams. Uh, I can remember when we first stumbled across Ashley Adams, do you remember, on the show? Dave, it's been almost nine years, and I can. <laughs> well, it was and I art- honestly cannot remember. It was an article that was a favorite of one of our uh, friends at uh, Gulfstream, Scott Poole, and it was called uh, "You Can't Beat the Rake," and it was a story about you know how the rake affects people over the long term of playing poker, and whether you know if you, you would really have to play well to. Uh, to end up making money over the long term because it's uh you know it's it's part of the deal and the people do supply the games and everything the poker rooms and it's a necessary uh, fact of the game but uh you know the long term if you're just an even player you're going to end up losing money to the rake obviously and i used to always remember when i dealt in uh, private games dave you know i remember what i made as a dealer and it was on a consistent basis almost every night that every friday and saturday it would fall within 40 50 bucks of what I would make the Friday before. Uh, and the other dealer, there was two of us that alternated. I more or less knew what the rake was. And, you know, when you settled everything said and done by the end of the night, they usually had 10. Sometimes you'd have 12 players because two would come in while one would leave a little earlier. But, man, when I broke it down, Dave, uh, if you break it down to an individual back then, you're talking close to $300 just for that one night per person. Right, right. You know, and... That's even, you know, dividing it equally amongst all the players, that's a tough number to overcome. You definitely, know? definitely. Now, you know, Ashley, I'm sure, wrote that for professional poker players because, let me tell you, um, recreational poker players don't really think about that. No, that's They're true. there for very the fun. True. Down here in South Florida, as I've mentioned many times on this show, it's very unique because of the huge high hands and the – the individual player promotions that, that that poker rooms around town offer, those are all things that, you know, people don't even think about the rake or the tip. But professional poker players, that's why the game, let me tell you, to me the game seems it was so miserable for dealers out in Vegas when I first played it back in the 90s. Um, you know, they, they the, the rake was such a big thing, Dave. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but, you know, they were raking to the quarter. To the twenty-five cent. Okay. The rate they actually had rolls of quarters in their in their in the dealer trays, so they could rake to the quarter because the players complained. And you know, looking back at it, that's probably one of the main reasons why casinos really hated having poker rooms back then because it you know didn't generate the income for, that they they were generating from other table games and machines in that area to accommodate a few people that were constantly complaining about. Uh, you know what they were weren't getting from the poker room. So, yeah. Now that now that you mentioned that and you're talking about that article, I do start remembering how we talked about it in detail well, back the, then. The point about it was, um, you know, because the rake does uh, so affect the players on a on a normal basis. Scott was totally against 
the having the jackpot, the, the, big, the big giveaway, and, and going to the $2 jackpot rake and, and that sort of thing. And like you say, the average recreational player doesn't even think about that stuff. But someone who plays on a making a living and long term, uh, you know, you have to wonder, uh, you know, how you can beat these games. But hopefully you'll be one of the guys who hits one of those big jackpots one of these days. Exactly. And let me tell you, oh, my God, I would hear this, especially when I first started doing this and when I traveled to play poker in Vegas, you know, when they started taking the $1 out, oh, my God, people were moaning and groaning. And I don't want this. I don't give a crap about the high hand. Now, you know, when it's $100 that they're giving an hour, you know, I could see that you don't want that money being taken out of a pot when you're a grinder at sitting at those tables for seven, eight hours like a regular job. But, you know. Once you start giving out $1,000 uh, an hour, $2,000 an hour, f- 500 every 15 minutes, no one all of a sudden has a problem with that. No one has a problem with that. Down here, I remember Scott, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Poole was the last person, the last poker room in to South Florida out. to hold out and yeah. go to the $2. Well, now it's and just, he had you can't to get do, away from it. You can't beat people. And, you know, it was very admirable of Scott, but at the same time, he allowed some of the local competition to get a, a, a you know a jump start on him when he could have been competing on an equal foot because he could have been offering a higher high hand. Gulfstream always had nice numbers, but if I remember correctly, they were slightly, at one point they were above Mardi Gras, and then all of a sudden Mardi Gras jumped ahead of them, and it just kept going forward and forward. And, you know, once your competitors get a, a stronghold and get a foothold, I should say, on, on an area, it's hard for you to all of a sudden come back because now you've got to come over the top and it's going to come into your pocket. Your promotional costs now are not going to be close to what you're actually taking out in jackpot rake. Right. You're going to, like I did, like I had to do. I, you know, first few months, I was, first month I was 115000 over that in promotions just to drag people into the hotel and to the poker room. And, you know, eventually I was able to grind that down without losing a lot of revenue, um, you know, and still maintain our, our customer fan, you know, fan base. So Right. Well, uh, you know, there's no avoiding it. I mean, people have tried to even go the other way. Do you remember Frank Famiano that was at Dania, at Dania. and he tried to drop the rake to $2 a hand instead of the $5 a hand? thinking that might bring him a big crowd. Well, nobody noticed and nobody showed up. Nobody anyways, cares. So First nobody of all, cared, yeah. and he took a beating. Exactly, he took a beating. And, well, you know, listen, unfortunately, you know, Dania did very well when it was a tournament, which is apparently what they are again, <laughs> a tournament A one-day-a-week tournament? Yeah, well, you know, not a one-day, but, you know, they, they, they can't, they, you know, I don't, I don't see how they could survive. I know the numbers because I worked there for a year, you know, dealing you know they they just don't get the day to day traffic right. that I had that most of the other poker rooms have that you need to survive. Right. You know um, people don't realize this, Dave, but being that I had to do some recent numbers for somebody uh, concerning a poker room that may or may not be opening, um, you know they were looking at numbers of close to two hundred thousand dollars, and when you break it down, assuming that you can do. 10,000 on on Fridays and Saturdays. So figure you got four Fridays, four Saturdays. That's 80,000, right? That's 80,000 assuming that you've got eight Fridays and Saturdays in a month. Some months you'll have what nine, maybe even 10. But assuming that that leaves you with 23 day or 22 days to pick up 120,000. 
that that comes out to almost $5,500 a day, Dave. I did the math right. just to prove something to somebody. And if you want to average $5,500 in a, in a Sunday through Thursday, 18-hour days. That's rake. Okay? You're talking rake. about rake. I'm revenue. talking about revenue, right. Rake, okay? You have to average three and a half tables every single hour that you're open. Right. So obviously, okay, maybe you open with one or two tables. You might get up to six maybe at the end of the night. But overall, that's what it's going to take at the average rake of $100 an hour per table. So how does like a Florida city make money with six tables? Probably not making much, right? Well, they don't have to. Unless they have six all They the don't have to because they're not offering a whole lot. That's true. It's You, you understand? Um, they're just looking to earn some revenue now. And they were, I'm sure they were looking to put machines, build a very nice place down there and put right. machines, which right. I don't know if that's in jeopardy because of what's happened with Amendment 3 here in the state of Florida. But that was their reason for that. Right. They just wanted to get a fan base. Um, you know, they... I know dealers are doing quite well down there. I don't know. Is that I, so? Yes, I heard my some of the dealers that I know are are making a better living. I know two that went from Dania down there and are making a much better living down there than they were than hmm. they were ever at Dania, and with the hours that they make you go through because their scheduling it just really sucks uh, over here at Dania because of how they run their room. Um, you know, people you can't run a regular schedule because. Some shifts aren't going to make any money whatsoever. Yeah, like Sunday, they used to have an early tournament. They switched to a 5 o'clock tournament. So if you go in there during the afternoon, there's, like, no tables going from, like, 1 to 5. And, it, and it's terrible. So so what are you going to do? You're going to have people come in at 1 o'clock. I, listen, I tried to I, – I, I just, you know, they, 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 work, they work on a completely different level than that I've run my – that I've worked under and run my poker room and my poker career. And their numbers, you know – I don't I don't understand how they're open with the numbers that they draw to be honest with you and the promotion they give out good promotions there there's no doubt they give them out but uh they gave up really quickly when early promotions um you know and unfortunately the people who do go play poker there you've been you're still working there you see what they do they strictly just come in at that time for that right and they play you know they play in a in a manner that I had. They same thing used to happen in my you know in Miami Highlight when I when I was there when I was the poker room manager, and I had to change some of the position because I'm not I'm not there to provide money. You know, listen, I I don't mind rewarding loyal customers with a good high hand, but I'm not there to provide. Uh, I don't I don't want those people coming into my poker room that are just going to sit there, risk a dollar a pot or two to try to hit a high hand and then amongst themselves they're colluding because they're checking it down trying to see if someone can hit a high hand right and i know that in dania you've got three or four people that are partners you know it's like the three of us in this room right here well if geo hits it or you hit it we're going to split that three ways whoever hits it you know and we're hoping maybe two or each you know two of us we hit two jackpots in a night. Okay, well, we picked up two, three hundred dollars each, depending on whether it was two cards or one card. You're you know, blowing they, the roof off the uh, poker business here. Well, listen, it, it's it's it, that's not a secret to you. You need to run. Can you stop that? Can you stop what? No, the I mentioned that this type of collusion. No, uh, that type of collusion. Yes, you do. You listen. I got to give Omar. Just walk around like Trump I, and say no collusion, give, no I collusion. Give, I give Omar a lot of credit. <laughs> you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is, Dave? Is 
we understand that. I can understand you checking it down, but when you reach a certain minimum and then it's check, 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 and no one, no one even attempts to bet their hand, that's when you need the dealer, okay, or someone at the table to inform you, even a supervisor who sees it, so you can watch it, have security watch this on camera, and just say, okay, listen, you know, we don't want you in our poker room. It's hard to do because they generate, I don't know if they generate just enough uh, revenue to withhold them because I'll give you an you example. You don't want to be Dave. driving away customers, Listen, basically, no, is what you're no, saying. No, but remember, if it's a customer who's not helping generate revenue, then what good is he? Yeah. You understand? I'm sorry. We've got people who come in and gamble every day who they, spend money they at might, the bar. They might buy a soda the, once in a while. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know? So um, yeah, I had to increase the amount of money to guarantee the $2 rake. But remember, I mean, a $2 jackpot and a $2 rake, okay? Most uh, limit games average about 75 to 80 bucks an hour, while your hold'em games, your one-two hold'em games are averaging close, closer to 100 bucks at least in my time when I was there. And the two five games and higher, uh, since we didn't really have time rate because we didn't get to a certain level, the two five games with all the action down here usually generate. Usually, it's a five dollar pot every freaking hand. Right. So you're going to get 120 to 130 dollars an hour there, depending on how good your deal is, how quickly the action moves. Okay. So big difference. Let's just use the lower number, 120 to 75. You know, it's 45 dollar an hour. You know, that's a lot of money, believe yeah. it or not. So you ha and the ones who are trying so hard to get that you know that 500 every 15 minutes or whatever the promotional dollars are that you're that a, that a poker room's offering the ones who are who live by that are those players that go there and dealers have a tough time because they tip you very well they really you know i mean they don't tip you well in the hands because you're lucky to get a dollar but if they hit something big. Uh, but if they hit a jackpot, you're, most of them give you 10% of whatever the prize okay. is. So dealers, that's why it's a, <laughs> it's a uh, you know, double-edged sword. You want to stop it, but as a dealer, if you're lucky enough to give out a high hand with those folks, yeah. you're going to earn a $50 tip right there right. if it holds up. Okay, well, getting back to uh, Ashley Adams, this article that we're going to talk about uh, later in the show tonight is uh, regarding uh, math. Uh, poke, math in poker, which uh, is is essential, but doesn't have to be uh, too deep. It can um, be pretty basic, and uh, he talks about not ignoring other factors when you are weighing your decisions. So there's a little five question quiz I'm, on I'm what you think. I'm very curious the to see are. how they go about it because I have a completely different spin on how some some of these math things. Um, you've seen card player when they put out the hands and they go percentage after yeah, the flop, uh -huh. before the flop, yeah. Yeah, well, that's easy to know when you know what the opponents have. Yeah, you know, but while they're still betting to be well, going on, well, there's a couple of tools where you count the outs and uh, you know you time something. Uh, well, Bernard Lee had a pretty I, simple uh, formula that he talked about it years back. Right, you know what the percentage because I hate when people say, "Oh, you have to play numbers." You know what the numbers are for the cards that you need to hit. But you don't know if that card yeah, comes right. with a suited card, whether that helps you or not. So okay. Well, we'll get to that a little later in that. the show. Uh, also, we'll try to talk about uh, what's happening as we move into 2019 with online poker or different states 
talk about a couple of states and where they stand. Uh, but we uh, last week when we were on the show, we were talking about uh, the Cherokee event, uh, Harris Cherokee for the WSOP circuit. They were down to the final table. And he was he was last at the table at the time, but he came, made a big comeback. Jake Baisley, uh, who's uh, from Cincinnati and uh, very well known on the tour, and he won he wins his fourth circuit title by taking down the main event in uh, North Carolina, and he defeated uh, 1,127 opponents to win the $1,700 main event buy-in and take home 316,000 head-to-head play. He defeated Kyle Cartwright. Uh, he was a seven-time uh, ring winner and the circuit, but he did, could not pick up one this time. He also owns a bracelet on the World Series uh, uh, out in Vegas. But uh, the winner, Baisley, uh, wins this one. Uh, finishing third was Toby Boaz, who's from, uh, I believe, the west coast of Florida, if I'm not mistaken, uh, over down there. And uh, also in fourth place was Ian Holt and my Chatib. Uh, clawed her way back from the dead, but eventually went out in fifth place. So that was the top five there as they finished it up in Cherokee. Also, uh, there's one tournament going on right now in uh, South Florida here, the main event of the Isle Classic. We talked a little bit about that last week and how it kind of snuck up on us this year because they moved it up a month. It used to be in January. Now it's in uh, December. But they are on day two now, and they started today with about, I guess, about 60 players. They're down to 17 right now. And uh, a lot of local big names here. Uh, you know, if you follow poker regularly at some of the tournaments down here, but Scott Zackheim, uh, Matt Smith, Elliot Zeidman, all still alive. Uh, Scott Baumstein is not from South Florida, but he is in town to play this tournament. Nancy Birnbaum. A uh, very good player is also doing very well here. And Hunter Sishi, who uh, just wrote a book and is pretty well known in this area. Other players uh, that are still alive, A.J. Gambino, Tom Giddy, and Dennis Sear. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that one as they fin- play down to a uh, finish. I think they have to play until t- they get to uh, uh, the final table, and then they'll come back tomorrow. But we'll take a look at that as well a little bit later on. Uh, also, a couple of announcements from uh, the major tours. Uh, the World Poker Tour, which is always obviously played at the Bellagio. In fact, uh, the Five Diamond Classic gets underway uh, this weekend. And actually, middle of the week, I think it starts. And then we'll finish up toward the weekend. But uh, they've always played there. But the Venetian has kind of been a little bit independent out in Vegas for tournaments. They've had their deep stack series for many, many years. But they just announced. Uh, Sheldon's, uh, Sheldon Adelson. Adelson's Casino. Yeah, they're, it's and, just that in the Palazzo, I think, the, that he owns In the there. Sands, I think. Oh, in the Sands. Okay. But uh, the Venetian will uh, be teaming up with the World Poker Tour next year in March, March 22nd through the 26th. And they'll have the WPT Vegas Showdown there, $3,500 buy-in with a million-dollar prize pool. Uh, Of course, uh, WPT has been for years at the Bellagio, at the Aria, and and some other uh, major places out there. But we'll keep an eye on that next year. Is it March? They have not yet announced the date at the Seminole Hard Rock, so we're still keeping an eye out for that. Uh, let's take our first break on the show and when we come back we'll get to this article by Ashley Adams uh, probability practical probability in poker a quiz is the name of it and I wanted to kind of go over it it's pretty interesting 
So we'll talk about that. He, he later expands on one of the questions, so if we have time at the end, we'll go back and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, one of those questions. But we'll see how Joe handles the quiz. <laughs> when we return, we'll get to that when we come back. Thanks for listening to Poker Action Line. We'll be back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. The path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. WFO Radio NHRA Nitro is all about the NHRA Drag Racing Series. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night following NHRA national events. NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com. Okay, back on the show, Big Dave and Joe. And you might be one of those players that when they mention math and poker say, uh, you know, I I don't really need that, which is basically me. I don't really work very hard at that end of it and uh, trying a few things. Probably would have a better game if I did, but I don't play that often anyway and mostly online. So uh, a lot of the numbers and that sort of thing are calculated for you pretty much, it seems like. But uh, you need to quickly add up uh, the size of the pot you're playing uh, and count the outs and uh, the probability of what's left. Um, you know, it's it's really uh, not that extensive, I, to be honest. Yeah, but I love how they do that because that's assuming you're putting a, an opponent on a particular hand that you've got to try to beat. It's uh, subjective to a lot of different well, things. Well, that's, that's a point we'll get into as we talk about this. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other factors beyond, way beyond the math. Obviously, you know that as well. But uh, the games described here in this story are ten-handed hands, a ten-handed table, uh, one-two no-limit hold'em, with a three-hundred effective stack in front of you, and a standard deck. Okay. If none of the answers are exactly correct, give the answer you think is most nearly correct. Okay. Question one: You have two suited cards and flop a flush draw. What percentage of the time, on average, will your flush draw on the flop become a flush on the turn? Fifty percent. of the time, 19% of the time, 
it depends on which suit it is, or uh, E, it depends on what has happened in prior hands. The suit doesn't matter. I don't know why. <laughs> if you've got, you're talking about two, two of, let's say you have two hearts and two hearts come on the flop. Yeah. Okay, so you've got five known cards that you know, the three that are on the flop and the two there. So you've got a 47, you got nine into 47. It's probably going to be somewhere around 19%. So 19% is correct. That's the way to figure it. Uh, 47 unseen cards, nine uh, remaining unseen cards in your suit. Exactly what you said. Uh, the suit and the prior action are irrelevant. 19.15% of the time is the correct answer. So 19 would be the closest. I, 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 can you believe that, Gio? <laughs> I've been around the block once or twice. Okay. <laughs> this is preposterous. How dare you be so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Question two. You have two suited cards, and you turn a flush draw. Not the flop, but on the turn you get the flush draw. What percentage of the time will your flush draw on the turn become a flush on the river? Uh, a, slightly more frequently than in question one above. You're talking about uh, the um, what it's your percentage to hit it on the river instead of on the on right. The, uh, if you if you get your if you get the flush draw on the turn, turn. Oh, on the turn, on the turn. Okay. And how many? What is the well, percentage? You've got. Okay. You've, st you've still got Listen nine to the answers. cards. Listen to okay, the answers. go ahead. A slightly more frequently than in question one, slightly less frequently than in question one, the same as in question one. It depends on which suit it is, or E, it depends on what has happened in prior hands. Because one less card is in the deck, you now have 46 cards with nine, nine still left to go for you to hit your card, but only one to come. Um, I would imagine it's 950. Probably, I don't need an exact number. I mean, just more or less just, than one. Just on the river. It would probably be just slightly ahead of that 19% because one less card came out. Correct. 19.57 is the correct number. Uh, slightly higher than the probability of uh, turning a flush uh, on the turn when you have the flush draw on the flop. Uh, number three, and this is a little a pretty cool question. Uh, you are under the gun holding kings, okay. pocket kings, and raised to $15. Everyone folds except one other player who raises to 45. What percentage of the time does your opponent hold aces, pocket aces? Roughly 0.5% of the time, roughly 25% of the time, 50% of the time, nearly 100% of the time, or it depends on what has happened in prior hands. And what, what, what were they, the, the first few uh, percentages on that? 0 0.5, 25, 50, or 100? It's got to be 0.5. The exact answer, he says, is actually it depends on what happened in prior hands. He says, uh, looking at it in terms of probability, uh, your opponent getting dealt pocket aces is once in every 221 hands, or 0.5% so of the time. But, however, he will not necessarily re-raise to 45 with pocket well, aces. Well, but remember, I'm see, this is why I have these yeah, exactly. issues. It's because... If it's just math, I've given you the three correct right. math answers. Right, correct. Okay? But just like this, I have once in my life folded you want, kings. You want a pat on the back? No, not okay. a pat on my back. But I've once <laughs> folded kings. Most people will never fold kings. I have I have folded kings in a, in a hand where someone took a raise before me. I re-raised with my kings, and I had somebody shove right after me. Uh -huh. I knew... 
I would have wagered, you know, my life's, you know, the life savings I had, every money, I, every dollar I had in the bank, okay, and my house, that, that the person who re-raised me into two raises had pocket aces. And as the case was, that's exactly what he had. Because okay. I knew exactly. And, and when I folded the Kings, I showed somebody right before, and I told them to just get, and they're like, how the hell are you falling? How the heck are you falling Kings? And I just knew that this person had the aces, and the other person was probably sitting with queens or jacks or ace-king. He was sitting with queens, and they got it all in. Right. And I folded my kings. So, yes, the math part is correct. Now. Well, let me just say what, how he explains it. He says, you know, he will not necessarily raise to 45 with pocket aces every time he has them. He, he may also sometimes three-bet to 45 when he doesn't have pocket exactly. aces. Exactly. So he says there's no way to be certain what he holds. At least you can estimate based on the decisions that have been made at the table while betting, uh, including your own. He said all of which makes it depends on what has happened in prior hands the best choice. Listen, which is kind of interesting. Like I, I, I want to get people, back to that one. So. If, if, I, if, I have, if I'm sitting at a table and I have, don't know any of the players at the table and after, say, an hour I've been playing, maybe you've had eight or nine rotations around the table, whatever the case may be, and I've seen one person who hasn't put a voluntary dollar into the pot other than his blinds, okay, and there's a raised pot in front of him and he re-raises, that is someone that I am putting on aces or, or kings at the very, yeah, very you're least. Yeah, you're not lucky to play against people like that. Huh? You would like to play with that people like that every day. I, exactly. I would love to play with people <laughs> like that. Now, and, and if he's a calling station, it'd be even better, but usually they're not. So that's why these people rarely, unless they're playing complete idiots, get any action at all okay well he put throws in a little bit of humor just to, okay. to keep mix it up so okay. here's question four we'll come back to three by the way he wrote a whole article about three so i want to get back to that but number four you're in the cutoff seat with two red jacks a player under the gun raises to 12 two players call him before the action gets back to you you raise re-raise to 30 the button calls as does the pre-flop raiser and the two callers so you got five You're people still in the hands. <laughs> How often, on average, will you hit at least a set on the flop? Roughly 12% of the time, roughly 25% of the time, 50% of the time, less than 5% of the time. It depends on the action prior to the hand, or it is impossible to know. Oh, it's not impossible to know. You've got two jacks. So that's 50 cards that are left. There's two of them that help you. So it's 25. What was the percentages again? 12, 25, 50, or less than 5. I, I want to say 12%. That is correct. Uh, some people will say either it happens or it don't. So the odds, the odds <laughs> 50, are 50-50. Yes. <laughs> but the truth is that given the fixed number of cards in the deck, the fact that some of them have been exposed to you, including the two in your hand, as you mentioned, it's possible to know precisely what the probability is, like flopping a set. It's Im- The probability of, of improving to a set or better on the flop when starting with a pair is roughly 12%, regardless of the prior betting action. Exactly. Okay, number five. It's This is a little longer here, so listen up. It's the river, and the board is... Seven of diamonds, five of diamonds, ace of clubs, nine of spades, jack of diamonds. Okay. You have king, ten of diamonds for the second nut flush. Okay. Your lone opponent has led the betting the entire way. Pre-flop, he raised to 15 under the gun and got three callers, including you. 
He bet 40 on the flop, got two callers. He then bet 100 on the turn with you as the only caller. Now on the river, he shoves for 200. The pot is 580. Only one hand, the nut beat flush you. can beat you. Does it make sense to call? And here's the answers. It's an obvious and immediate call. The chances are he has exactly ace X of diamonds based on the cards, the board, the likelihood. Oh, he's it. I'm sorry. The chances that he has the ace X of diamonds based on the cards, the board, and the likelihood that he would be dealt, dealt those two cards is extremely small, less than 1%. The pot's laying you nearly 3 to 1 odds. Call. Uh, okay. uh, number two, it's a fold. The only way he'd make that $200 bet on the river would be if he had the nut flesh. Why else would he shove? Though you'd like to call, you know that you're beaten. Let it go. Uh, C, since you're getting much better than even money, you should surely call. Yes, the chance that he was dealt exactly ace-x of diamonds is very small. And yes, his betting action on the river indicates a very strong hand, perhaps, perhaps the nut flush. However, his betting action before the flop, on the flop, on the turn, indicate that he had a strong made hand before the flop, on the flop, on the turn, but not on a fl- not a flush draw. Though he might have been deceptively aggressive with his drawing hand, it's more likely than not that he had a premium pair or some other oh. a- uh, <clears throat> ace hand, hit a set, made a pair of aces, or made aces up. Make the call. And the other answer is there are too many variables to think about. Go with your gut. Well, that one, that last one before <laughs> I go with your gut is, uh, did the flop come with the ace? Uh, do you remember up in the top of the question? Because I know you did the what? Me, did the flop come with the ace? Yes. Okay. For me, it's an obvious call. For me, it's an obvious call because if he raised to that amount, a pot that had already been raised, and he's betting it that strongly, uh, my guess is he's got pocket aces with the ace of diamonds. Okay. Okay. So he knows that no one else has that ace of diamonds. So. He knows no one can be drawing to the nut flush, and I would have. And I'm thinking, hey, if I flop three aces, and if it comes runner runner diamonds, I'm going to bet it out. I'm going to put enough pressure so that people do not call me who have two weak diamonds in there. I also can improve with get pairing the board with two cards to come. I if I had the trip aces, I'd have bet the hand the way that you just indicated that this person bet the hand. And if I got the king x of diamonds and I got the second nut. Well, God bless you. If you had the ace, ace X of diamonds, you're going to take my money because I'm making that call. So it, your answer I is? I may even take a raise for all my chips at that point if I know the player has pocket aces. The answer. So your answer is since you're getting much better than even money, you should surely call, and that is the correct answer. Uh, saying it's a fold is wrong because it fails to consider the entire betting history of the hand. Uh, obviously, when he's uh, leading out, uh, before the jack comes on the river, he has something else probably, right? Well, you know, he doesn't have ace-king of diamonds because you've got the king of diamonds. So right. unless he's a crazy enough player to raise AX, you know, ace-x any suit, you know, in this case diamonds, he's raising it at best with an ace-queen of diamonds. If you're not putting him on that, you might be put, like I said, you maybe put him on, on pocket aces or an ace-king's, you know, naked ace-king with him having that ace of diamonds. I'm I, like again, unless that board comes four to a, four to a flush with the diamonds, then it's a, to me it's an easy fold if he makes that large bet at the end. But with three diamonds and you have to show me two, 
95 to 96 percent of the time out of 95 96 hands out of 100 i'm going to make that call with the second nut flush very good you're five for five you verified that you were the expert on this show <laughs> which is damn not it hard. why doesn't my bank hard. why doesn't my bank account <laughs> reflect that and just before we go to a break uh we'll, say, we'll tell you if you answered there are too many variables to think about you might want to think about a new hobby yeah it, if that if that was your answer there Poker may not. Well, actually, no. You should be playing poker at the table that I sit at. Yeah. You know. <laughs> come, come, come to my house. Please. Okay. Uh, in we'll conclusion, he says it's essential for the winning poker player to know some basic poker math, but focusing exclusively on it mistakenly ignores the importance of an opponent's betting action. And one of the things that uh, I also take in, into, um, in, in, you know, into account, and I forgot for some reason, I can't remember the... Um, when some people make a bet and, and it's on the on the turn, Dave, and you know that you've got a a, a draw, it's it's future bets that you're going to earn money on too. That that someone had told me, and I can't remember the damn name exact name that they talked about it. Uh, unexpected value or something that your EV is is that you might get more money even on the turn. So the percentage of you calling it right is high. You're getting more of a percentage. Because of the expected money that you're going to earn if you hit your hand. Okay. And I never calculated it like that. And I have over the last few years, you know, taken that more into account. It's it's like a balance scale. You know, yeah, you're going to lose more money on certain hands. But when you do hit, you're hitting a lot bigger pots because no one's putting you on that particular hand. So, uh, like they say there, you have to take into account the player that you have. And how crazy they could get if you make your hand. So now you might actually stack a player, right. and for for a small percentage of your stack to call to okay, try. Okay, and to I want to take it back. You weren't five for five. You were actually four for five because the middle question, the correct answer was depending on the betting. So you made the same mistake that a lot of people made. But he does come back with another article to explain why that's wrong. The okay. point five is wrong. So we'll come back. We'll talk more about that when we come back. And uh, well, I we'll made the back. correct math. Uh, the, correct, the math was correct, and the patient died. There, you know, sometimes, that, <laughs> like I say, the, the, the operation was a success, but the patient died anyway. Exactly. Don't forget, you can always listen to the program on PokerActionLine.com. Probably the best place to do uh, to get the show is on SoundCloud. Uh, we tell people that it's a great service. Uh, you can also follow us on SoundCloud and get immediate notifications when the show is posted. Uh, which is usually Monday nights, uh, somewhere between 10 and 11 o'clock uh, in the evening. Uh, but, uh, you know, it can be different sometimes. We do it on a different day if we have a conflict with the studio or some other uh, problem with our personal lives, which uh, can change uh, when we <laughs> do the show. Anyway, uh, of course, you can get it on iTunes. Just search Poker Action Line. Uh, you can subscribe to it there as well. Or you can go to uh, the Hold'em Radio Network and pick up the show there on the Poker Fuse podcast page on Stitcher.com, anywhere you get your podcasts. Poker Action Line, just search it, and we hope you'll join us every week. We're working on a couple of guests. Uh, one guest I want to have on after the first of the year is Alex uh, uh, Alex Fitzgerald, I believe his name is, uh, the Assassinato. They, he's known as. He's a rights and uh, card player and a few other places. He's done a couple of books. I uh, have his last book, and then he's now coming out with a new one very shortly. So he's going to be doing some interviews. So we'll get him on the show to talk about some great stuff. He's an excellent writer. 
and uh, we will talk with him as well. So that's one of the things we're working on for after the first of the year. We'll have a couple of best of shows uh, in December, probably uh, the 24th and the 31st to be posted. So we hope you'll uh, pick up anything you missed earlier in the year. Uh, we'll be back uh, when, when after these messages we return with uh, another segment of Poker Action Line. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. This is the sound of salmonella gyrating on your undercooked chicken. And it looks like Mom might be taking it out a little early. Don't let salmonella get funky with your chicken. On average, one in six Americans will get a foodborne illness this year. So use a thermometer to cook each type of meat to the right temperature. Keep your family safe at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Back on the show, Big Dave and Joe. I want to go back to uh, that question number three on the quiz uh, involving uh, holding pocket kings and... Uh, and, and being re-raised. Being re-raised uh, with a 3X raise. And Joe was right. It was roughly 0.5% Percentage-wise, right. Percentage time because you, you get... Would, that you one, would get that pocket aces. once out of every 221 hands Correct. or something. Okay? Correct. Uh, but most poker players know that, okay? And if you don't and you listen to the show, now you do... That's and that's not just aces. That's your chance of hitting any kind of set, no matter what pocket pair you're holding. Well, I think uh, uh, the explanation explanation is uh, justified here. Um, it depends on what has happened in prior hands. Is the correct answer according to Ashley? Because he has three bet you, and that changes things. He said. Uh, he said. Why you're correct in the pocket aces uh, percentage of the time that you might get that it is 0.5 percent of the well, time, but it becomes largely immaterial 
once the player three bets. Well, exactly. And and I was just giving what the mathematical answer right. was to that question. Now, you, know, you don't need to now, defend yourself. No, no, no. But listen, I mentioned, like I said, I have folded kings once before because I assumed the player had once, aces. but only once. Only once. Yeah. And, I've, and obviously I have faced aces quite a few times with pocket kings, as a lot of players have. Okay? Um, sometimes I'm very sure, and I'm sure Ashley wants to address this for the readers of, of her column, is I didn't want to believe certain people had aces. Okay? Um, I said, oh, they got ace-king. Well, what was the hand in the World Series this year where he had aces and the other guy had kings and the one guy folded the hand? uh, Would he have kings also? I don't remember what it was. Wasn't it right by the bubble? Yeah, and and like I said, we've had had somebody tell us, you know, the only times you should fold aces is if you're, you know, just looking to get into a position because – the top ten get the same amount, you know, the same amount of uh, get get the same prize. Let's right. just put it that way, whatever yeah. it is. So if there's eleven players and two players have gone all in, and one of them can either hit seriously hurt your stack or knock you out, you fold aces because the object is not to be the first one and win the the top dollar prize. There, it's just to get into the money. In this particular case, my answer, you know, not knowing the player. If I assumed the player was a very, very, very good player, I'd probably put the chances that he had aces at closer to 30 40%, maybe even 50 If it's a moderate player, not a crazy player, but someone who's capable of racing, you know, ace-queen, you know, or betting pocket queens that way, again, I know what the math is. Now, does he have that hand? You know, does he have that one in 221 chance hand at less than, you know, half a percent point? So, again, I, I, I there, he's right about this. You know, well, you he, he to, does say that, you know, he said uh, you must greatly increase uh, the likelihood from 0.5 percent to uh, something much higher. The question is how much higher? And he brings in an old joke about uh, the guy looking for his keys at night. Not where he thinks he dropped them, but under the street lamp because the lighting is better there. <laughs> exactly. I, he I, said you shouldn't fall in the same trap as a poker player. Right. And like I said, if you talk to poker players, man, I guarantee you you're not going to find too many of them that have folded pre-flop pocket kings to any any race. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, too, if if you know that he's a very tight player and, and that's he hasn't bet a bunch of hands, then it's pretty obvious that he probably has aces. So and, and look at any big tournament. How many times do you see aces up against kings just because the person you – know, you get dealt a super strong hand like kings, okay? To me, you know, it's – you're almost finding ways to convince yourself that the, your opponent doesn't have aces. So Ashley here in this particular case, he's he's asking us to, hey, have that. There is that probability, and it's probably stronger than the normal point, you know, right. 0.5%. Well, he says if your opponent is probably more conventional, uh, moderately aggressive, a more typical type opponent, you might put him on a three-betting range con- con- consisting of pairs, but probably – you know, somewhere nines or, or nines to queens. I, I wish he had had which, a... Which would, which would uh, estimate your likelihood of being ahead at about 80% or so. Exactly, which then begs the question, do you p- replay back at this particular... This this should have had like a 3A. 
what are the chances that your hand is that much better and stronger that you're willing to play back at this player after after he or she has raised into you, you know, three bet into you. Okay. So he he brings up another example, and it's kind of similar to uh, the other hand that we talked about. Uh, he said, imagine uh, it's the river in a one-two no-limit cash game, with, and you have an effective stack of a thousand dollars. The pot is a hundred. He said, your head's up, your lone opponent shoves for a thousand with the board showing ace, uh, jack, nine, six, deuce, three spades. And what do you have? You have pocket aces, two red aces. How did the flop come? The flop came ace, jack, nine, two spades. And and then the turn was? The turn was the six of clubs, the deuce of spades on the on the river. And he and on the river he pushes. Yeah. He said he only beats you if he has two spades for the flush. He said you must decide whether to call or bet. How do you decide? He said the wrong way is to ignore all the betting action throughout the hand and look well, only at the that's odds. That's one thing he doesn't mention there in that right. thing. He didn't mention what the bets were no, and what the calls true. were. That's true. You understand? That's true. Uh, if you put pressure on him right from the flop, and he took that pressure, he's either got the nut the nut spade draw. Or he hit aces, you know, he's got the case ace with another card and he thinks that his pair of aces is good. Once again, you know, you have to read the situation at the table. Was he looking to take advantage of, you know, if a third spade hit the board that he was going to represent that he had the flush pushing you off your hand? He mentions that uh, getting dealt the two pocket spades would be about 17 to 1. Getting dealt the two pockets. Oh, be, oh be, be, yeah, be, okay. He said, uh, she said, that would warrant a call, but the odds that he has pocket spades are surely much higher, uh, depending yeah, on how I, he bets. He said, the things you want to look at is, did your opponent call your escalating bets on all the streets? Is he the type of player who would continue to do so with a flush draw? Are you seen as an extremely tight player who is likely to fold to such a bet? And is there any chance in your mind that he might shove the river as a bluff? I remember the flop came, if I remember correctly, ace jack, right? There were two of the two on the on the flop, ace jack. He could have been sitting with the king queen of spades, right? And not only having the nut flush draw, but having the nut straight draw also giving him more outs to try to hit the the winning hand. I think. Well, finally, uh, that the the point really is. The math is important, but, you know, the entirety of the game, as we always discuss, and watching what the player does along the way, you know, needs to justify the math at times. It does, but like I said, Dave, uh, lots of players will look at this and not take into, uh, you know, not be concerned about what the percentage is because it's still lower, you know, and they're going to say to themselves, like I said, one in 221, you're, you're going to talk yourself into, damn, I can't fold pocket kings here. Can I fold trip aces into a bet like this on the river? Was this I, guy could, cra- I don't think was I Was this guy crazy enough to call, you know. Now, if you, you let this guy sneak in with minimal bets and then he shoves. Maybe. I, I, I'd, I'd probably lay him down because I don't have that much invested in the pot. But. You know, uh, I'm sure you've been at the table when people say, well, I'm going to make you pay if you're going to chase me. Yeah. You understand? A lot goes it into this. It depends on how you play, too. I mean, wouldn't that be crushing to have a set of aces and to, to lose the hand? Well, that's 
that's part of, part game, of being a great right? poker player sure. is realizing that you have a monster hand and someone just has a slightly better monster hand than you do and having the the conviction and courage to say you got me beat yeah 90 something percent of the people 98 99 percent of people can't do that yeah you, when we see I can't, this I can't do that when we see that <laughs> when we see that on TV that people lay it down. I, we've discussed how Daniel Negrano's, I, I've, we've seen him make calls just to verify in tournaments that he's put the, his opponent on the correct hand. That's an investment because he figures, I know I'm going to be able to catch this guy later on. I wanted to see if he chased, if he did this. You know, you're, you're storing all of this to memory. You're putting that in that file so later on, if you happen to face this particular person, you know their pattern of play. Okay, uh, when we had Jerry uh, um, Yang. Yang on the show, remember I asked him, there was a hand when he had jacks to queens on the final table, and I said, how did this guy lay this hand down to you? And being that I had not seen it and had made not have come up, he had played a previous hand and saw this man lay down kings that he explained to us on the radio, which now gives credence to the move that he made. Yeah even if he assumed the player had a better hand. He knew if that player had aces when he re when he raised, that guy would have re-raised them pre-flop. Uh, pre so, like I said, poker is a very complex game that we talk about here, Dave. It's not only the math, but studying your opponent, studying the situation, uh, you know, position is so big. Um, you know, to be a successful top-tier poker player... You you have to excel at almost every single one of these aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll take our final break. We'll come back. We'll uh, take a look at online poker, where it's headed into after the first of the year in a few major states around the country. Uh, we'll talk about that when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line. Hope you're enjoying the show. We we'll hope you stick around to the very end. We'll be back right after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the play-for-free demonstration and hope that you will join us 
and the Play For Real game becomes available later this year. Welcome back to the show. Final segment. Thanks for being with us tonight. Uh, taking a look at a few of the states, uh, I want to start with California. Uh, nothing really new except that there is a lawsuit now that has been filed by some of the Indian tribes against uh, some of the places uh, that are running these two- and three-card games, these banked games. Uh, the Rincon uh, Band of Lucino Indians and the Santa Inez Band of Kumash Indians have filed a suit against uh, the card room industry in the state of California about the bank games uh, which the players supposedly uh, play against the house. Uh, these games are, are supposed to be the sole property of the Indian casino uh, casinos called Class 3 Gaming, but the Indians are alleging that the, the card rooms are encroaching on their operations. They play these games and they skirt the law, basically, the, the card rooms do by... Uh, it isn't the house they're playing. They say uh, they do take a slight rake, but they uh, they uh, move the uh, de- de- the dealer, dealer around the button. table, which is which is how I've played. You know, they have uh, uh, their form of blackjack in California, but that's not how it's done here. Even though you're allowed to be it's not a here dealer, in Florida, I don't think. What the three card games you're talking yeah. about? Uh-huh. Well, the. the Poker rooms down here have been dealing those three card, like the the poker style, the ultimate hold'em and stuff like that. It's called. Mm-hmm. And I know that in California, if you say you want to be the dealer and you've got two, three thousand in front of you, now this is going back a while. You could say, okay, and that was your risk, you know. So the other players would play, and you had two chances. Of, if I'm remembering correctly, back then, Dave. Here now, I know that Adania, whoever the banker is has put 25000 in their bank. That's part of the requirement right. to cover this. Well, that's different out there in California. They have this rotating deal between the players at the table. But they say, uh, the tribes say, that if a player departs the game or doesn't want to play their hand as the dealer, the card groups fill that slot with the third party, uh, the proposition player that works for an outside company. Uh, they said the usage of these players does violate the law. So Yeah, that's, that's what I was just talking right. about, what we do down here practically. Right. So it's a little bit different out there. But the point is, uh, you know, there's just more disagreements, more lawsuits between the Indians, the horse tracks, and, and, uh, you know, that's keeping anything from moving forward as far as online gaming in the state. And it's been like that ever since they've tried to do this for years. Correct. Because, you know, and state of Florida is very similar to that, Dave. I mean, and, you know, we're now dealing with Amendment 3 that just passed. But prior to that, you couldn't get the politicians on the same page. Right. To help the paramutuals, um, you know, it's the greediness is huge. I mean, because if they had all gotten together, I think they could all make money at this, but they always seem to find a way to screw it up. Right. Uh, the other state we'll mention is uh, Pennsylvania, which obviously is in, uh, in drawing up their rules, and usually uh, most people believe that the first part of 2019 will bring in their online poker and other online gaming there. Uh, Poker Stars has jumped in. They've uh, made a uh, partnership with the Mount Erie Casino, and we'll get involved in that there. So uh, things are moving forward, but it's not not everything as well because of the problems with the taxation rate uh, that we've talked about. Some of the people, uh, it's keeping them from jumping in, uh, but online casinos will certainly uh, 
will we'll we'll come first, and then online poker uh, will have problems turning a profit with that high tax rate, I think. So we'll see what happens with that. But they're still moving forward, and we'll see what happens. Uh, the other big state is New York, and the latest thing to happen in New York is uh, sports betting has really kind of taken the lead, and we kind of knew that maybe poker would uh, hang right along, but there's so much money coming in on sports betting on the places that have it that even uh, the big uh, guy who was uh, running uh, the power of the uh, online poker community, his name is Gary Pretlow, an assembly man in New York, has said that he will probably uh, you know, still bring up an online poker bill in 2019, but it's not going to be tied in with sports betting, and there's no guarantee that it works out. So who knows what's going to happen in New York. That's a big market that we really need to get online. Yeah, and I wish they would tie it in with sports betting because I think the sports betting will definitely, you know, pass. He said there's such a discrepancy somewhere between $20 million for poker and $150 million minimum for uh, sports betting. So, you know. Well, sports betting is going to be much larger than poker because, you know, there's a lot of sports bettors that don't know a damn thing or, or want to know a damn thing about poker. You know, it's it's two different worlds. But I will tell you this. I, I, I would imagine that 60 to 70% of poker players are sports bettors also, just based, there on, is my ex- some crossover. Just, just been, just based on my experience of uh, many years of watching, you know, people that I've dealt to, games I've played in, being the manager. I, I know there's a large percentage of the, of the poker players that are betting on sporting events. Um, you know, it's no hot, no, no secret, Dave. And my thinking is, you know, we, we don't get poker, but you know what? I, now with the sports betting, I have a feeling all these offshore sites are taking a big hit yeah. with their customers being able to bet it legally in their states. Uh, the final one is Michigan, who uh, is still trying to push forward and hopes to have online poker uh, after the first of the year as well. Uh, this is kind of their last opportunity because uh, these bills carry over. Uh, there was some uh, advancement and to get it on the floor and that sort of thing, but uh, after 2018, going into 2019, the bill will not roll over. Uh, they don't carry over into odd-numbered years in Michigan. So uh, bills are effectively alive for two years. So if it goes no further this year in 2018, uh, it's going to have to start all over. So uh, big question. Again, you have uh, three uh, brick-and-mortar casinos in the Detroit area. And there's some battle there going on, but we'll see what happens. But uh, still pushing hard to try to get something done in Michigan. So we'll see what happens. I'm I'm going by the way of prohibition. It took, what, like 14, 15 years before they they repealed it. So I have a feeling we've got a – we still got another six or seven years to go before this is this Very gets true. figured Very out. Very true, and we'll uh, we'll have to keep a close eye on it, which we'll do uh, after the first of the year. See if we can get the people from uh, the Poker Alliance coming on, and we'll see what happens. Wow, there's the Seattle Seahawks with their uh, neon green, neon puke baby green uh, uniforms. <laughs> all all one all one color. Uh, that's gonna do it for the show. We appreciate it uh, you being with us, and we'll look forward to having you back next week. We'll uh, work on a few things, and we'll have our best of shows at the end of the year. Uh, Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez, uh, as usual. And our our boy Gio. And, of course, Gio uh, hanging in. And uh, we're headed for the holiday season. We hope you have a happy one. And we'll be back next week with another live show as we bring it to you next week here on Poker Action Line.
The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 